And I think that comes out in our regional cross-cultural sessions because one, I, I do a little section that's called What's in the Name for them to start thinking about their own identity as well as how we see or perceive others. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I'm so excited about today's episode. We'll be talking about innovative approaches to pre-departure orientation in 2023 with an old friend from the West Coast who has one of the most interesting backgrounds in education abroad. LaSharon McLean-Perez is the Assistant Director of Education Abroad at the University of California, Riverside. LaSharon studied theater and creative writing extensively in addition to higher education, leadership, and administration. She is also a U.S. military veteran and served in the Navy for four years following high school. Oh, and importantly, I'd be remiss for not mentioning that LaSharon is also the undisputed queen of karaoke at NAFSA conferences. LaSharon, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hello, hello, everybody. So glad to be here. Could you start by describing your current role at the University of California Riverside to us? I am the Assistant Director for Education Abroad, being that I'm in my 16th year here and the longest standing member of this office. I pretty much know everything, do everything. I am the backbone of this office. And, you know, for those of us who are listening, can't see, but I can see, LaSharon has quite the array of awards behind her on her office of all the, of all the amazing work that she's done there. So thank you, LaSharon, for being here. You do so many interesting things at UCR that I want to dig into, but I'd love to start by talking about the innovative approach you take to pre-departure orientations. How are you preparing your students for travel? Our approach has always been knowing that many of our students being first-gen students, um, many of them are very much local to the Inland Empire area, so they may not have traveled maybe to L.A. County or San Diego County, maybe across the border to Arizona or Nevada, but many have not left the country. So taking that approach and also being a UCR student who didn't have very much travel experience, how do I really prepare you? What do you really need to know to navigate this process and not get there in one week be like, I need to come back to Riverside because I cannot handle this. Um, so that is the kind of the approach we've always have with COVID. That approach, we kind of looked at our processes and shifted it more because we wanted our students to be active learners versus me talking at you. We changed a lot of our programming where the students were doing pre-assignments for stuff. So I know a lot of people are like, hold on, what? There's no academic credit to any of this. Honestly, if a student really asked me, do we need to do this? No. I think by them having that hands-on training, they're absorbing the information as I'm presenting it. And they're more familiarized with the material that we are going to work through. And because they've had some um, familiarization with it, now they can be constructive in the questions that they have and making the meetings much more productive than they may have been in the past. 
Yeah, thank you for that. And so, you know, when we think about pre-departure orientation, it is just so much information for, for students, right? How do you think about getting students retain the most important pieces of, of what we need to share with them before they travel? It's tough. In our revamping of our programming, you've got to think, we oversee three different program types. And so the beginning part of their pre-departure information is very much tied to the program type they're doing. So, for instance, World Strides, they fall under our Opportunity Abroad program umbrella. So those students, when they're going through their selection maintenance seminar, they're only getting information that is pertinent to them going to World Strides versus if a student was doing UCAP. So in the beginning of our pre-departure workshops, the students are broken into the cohort based on the program type. And so a lot of that we realize could be done virtually because a lot of that is factual information. It's like, okay, if you haven't done X, Y, and Z documents, this is not going to get you on a plane. So a lot of that is, it's just regurgitated information, but we realize that even though I'm telling you the information, a lot of you are not retaining it or you're not taking notes. So through the use of Powtoon, so for those who don't know Powtoon, it's kind of like a video cartoon app. I've used that as a supplement, as a work through guide that will guide the student of, okay, I just talked about all these documentation. Now you have this video to go step by step with you through it. Because one, also, I mean, I will admit, I'm a visual person. So if you're trying to tell me a bunch of information, it's like in one ear and out. So realizing that I do have to present information to students in a lot of different ways. So not only are they hearing me tell you, now you visually are seeing me walk you through that material. So that's kind of how we, we handle the first part of the programming based on their program type. Then once we hit what I call our midpoint, this is what I call the hard-hitting information, they're all brought together. So now they're no longer separate. They're now all together, and they're in person. One, because I want them to start interacting with their the students that they may be going out with, whether they're on their program or not on their program, but they may be in the same country. And so that covers our safety and wellness workshops, our pre-departure regional cross-culture workshops. Oftentimes, we will have returning students who will do country-specific workshops in person. Um, so once we get to that point, it becomes more interactive. I, I want them to kind of really engage with each other, the material and stuff like that. That's terrific. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, it's always tricky when we have multiple different types of programs um, <laughs> that we need to prepare our students and how we how we approach, you know, a faculty-led program, you know, v- versus a student going abroad with, you know, ISA to Granada. So I think that's a, that's a very thoughtful approach to, to kind of handling that. What do you think the most challenging topic area and pre-departure orientation is in 2023? Safety and wellness. I mean, given that we just had like the global shutdown, many of these students, you, you, I, I don't think anyone's really thought about the cohort we're seeing. When we came back to campus last year, I'm dealing with my seniors who only had one year on campus, my juniors who only had one term on campus, and my sophomore and freshmen who hadn't even been to school yet. So now I'm dealing, okay, 
with a whole different group of students who may not even gone anywhere. So the approach of not only do I have to educate you into quote unquote adulting one-on-one, you haven't experienced things because you've been shut off. And so for me, I know some students are like, oh man, she's a tough cookie. What they realize, I'm not going to be with them on the program. So knowing with our safety and wellness workshop, we get a little real. We do some simulations. We do some crisis management stuff. We talk about mental health. We talk about physical care. We talk about sexual health and LGBT issues. So since COVID, I think that area is probably the most challenging One, because we want students to kind of really be open and honest about their situation. One, so that we're best prepared with our partners on site of, hey, we may have an issue before we leave um, with the student, but also for them to realize these are all the resources that are available to you should you incur any challenges, whether it's the resources with our partners on site, the resources that we have here at UCR, maybe it's some outside resources that we hadn't even thought about. And so this is what I love about our regional cross-culture workshop, because they do a group project, we do make them do a little bit of digging of what's available to them in the country so that I don't want a student to be in crisis and be like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Because you're not really thinking. We want you to already know, oh, I've already done the pre-work. I'll have you go find those notes. Find the notes I just took before I left. Uh, These are all the people I need to contact if I'm in a crisis. Yeah, excellent. You know, we've we've certainly seen the same thing. It's just having to put a greater emphasis on health and safety and and also mental health for for our students. Mental health has definitely increased. All of our students, we have them do a health clearance. And I want to say... Given that the 22-23 academic year is our largest cohort out since the pandemic, a lot of mental health clearances had to be completed as part of it. So we are going to see the increase for a little bit on that um, because it was a challenging time. To say the least, wasn't it? <laughs> and so with that, how do you balance, you know, the important content that we need to share with our students, like health and safety and mental health and wellness, with the fun stuff? My, my students kind of laugh because I have some of the world's most grandiose stories. I always say, do as I say, not as I did. So a lot of our crisis simulations come from yours truly. And I will say I am a avid traveler. I mean, I, I, I've done it, seen it all. But in my early years, I have made some doozies of mistakes. So it's interesting when we're going through the crisis uh, simulations that we give them. I'm not just going to give you something, oh, you lost your passport. No, you've had your bag stolen, your wallet stolen, your passport stolen, your boarding pass stolen. This is all going down in the airport and you're on your way home. What do you do? And the students are like, this is not a real scenario. I'm like, yes, it is. It is a real scenario. Every scenario we're going through has happened either to me or another advisor in my office or to a student abroad to let them know, although it seems like these things are so improbable, I think giving them the most improbable situations kind of brings the humor out because they're just, they start laughing because it's like, I can't, can't cope with this. So Finding that lightheartedness through my stories of woe, of 
for me, they weren't, I, I always tell them I never have a bad experience because if I got lost, that journey led me to meet somebody or led me to find something new. So how do you take something that may be bad and turn it into a positive? Now, not every situation we can turn into a positive because especially when we start talking about sexual assault and harassment, I get a little real because one, if you mess with my kids, I'm coming for you. And I I know realistically, I just can't get on a plane and be like hunting down folks. When we get to there, it we usually start with kind of the heavy, deep stuff and then kind of move into some more of the lighthearted type of situations. I love that. So, you know, starting with the serious stuff and then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of making it making it fun, but also making it personal. You know, these are yeah. real stories and, and emphasizing that to students. I love that. I know you have a lot of different types of students at, at UCR uh, with different backgrounds and, and, and different stories of their own. So how do you design activities and content that is suitable for students with varying levels of, of intercultural experience and acumen. Well, and I think that comes out in our regional cross-cultural sessions because one, I, I do a little section that's called what's in the name for them to start thinking about their own identity as well as how we see or perceive others. And so I, for me, it's a fun I, uh, activity I love doing with the students because one, I use myself. And so I start the activity out is if you're walking down one of the halls of UCR and you see me and a student asks, who's that? How do you describe me? What are the things that you could say about me? Anything you say can be said. You're not going to make me mad. So you get some of like some of this normal, oh, she's black, she's woman, that kind of stuff. And then you start getting into some more that the stereotypical things that they perceive based on my behaviors that they know. And then I flip it on them. I'm going to tell you my name and my whole name for this. You only get to see LaSharon McLean Perez, but my actual name is Hasharon Alienta Spark in the Wind McLean Perez. After telling them that, you get this look of like, what did she just say? So then I put it on a screen so that they can see it because it's a lot to take in when you hear it. Now, what are all the things you perceive about me? What are the things that you assume about me just from hearing my name now? So then it kind of gets them to start thinking, oh, there's more to a person than what we may perceive. So I'm trying to get them to start thinking about their own identity of, okay, you know who you are, but what do other people perceive you to be? And then also looking at the fact that some people may look like or visually identify into another ethnic or cultural group. The funnest thing is the other day I was giving a workshop and it was predominantly Hispanic students and one of my student workers was there. They're like, well, he doesn't understand. He's just a Caucasian guy. He goes, what are you talking about? I'm Hispanic. And I mean, tall, 6'4", linky guy who outwardly looks Caucasian, but is Hispanic. And so I kind of laugh. I was like, well, if you just said that about him, what do you think about me? I'm Hispanic. (laughs) So getting students to kind of think bigger, especially in places where they may not look like everyone else there, or then flipping the script on those students who are like, okay, I'm a Korean student and I'm going to Korea. Well, in your mind, you're Korean, but in their mind, you're American. 
So how do you navigate that? That in your head, I'm Korean. You may be diehard, but you're not really Korean. You really are American. <laughs> so trying to get them to kind of deal with those identity and those type of issues. And I've, I, what killed me one day was after a session, a student came to me. And she goes, I can't go abroad. I was like, oh my goodness, I just destroyed you in two hours. This is our last workshop. And now you want to withdraw. And I asked her, why is it that you want to withdraw? Let's let's talk this out. L- let me hear you out. Sit down. Let's Let's figure this out. Caucasian female student. And she goes, I, I can't do this. I am not prepared. I don't know who I am. I said, I think you know who you are. I said, what were your goals? Because as part of this workshop, we do goal, a goal and expectation worksheet. And I said, what did you write for your goals? And so she gives me this list that she written. And I said, based on what I have observed of you, very introvert student, very quiet, not very sociable. I said, you're setting yourself up for failure. Your goals are too big for who you are currently. I said, you need to modify your goals and your expectations. I said, can I give you a goal for when you go abroad? She goes, yeah. I said, your only goal is to ask one person every day a question. You may already have the answer to that question. It could be what time is it? It could be where something is. But just talk to one person that's not on your program, that is a local, and just ask them a question. Let's start with that. Two weeks in, she goes, I'm talking to multiple people a day. So for me to see that this student, I think, although I think she tried to use the self-identity part as a way of, I don't know who I am. I think for her, it was the goals and expectations that were setting her up for trouble. So kind of reframing those. I always tell students, I'm going to have to break your expectations. Don't expect nothing. Because if you're expecting to do so-and-so and and it don't work out and you're devastated, that's going to kill your whole program. So be realistic in your expectations. I absolutely love that. You know, it's giving students a challenge of, okay, guys, ask one person a day, one question who's not on your program. That That is like an attainable thing for Mm -hmm. a student to do without seeming too scary, but it achieves those goals that we all want from education abroad. It pushes them just ever so gently out of that comfort zone. And then, you know, a month or so into the program, you have like your student asking several people a day a question and feeling proud and accomplished about it. So I I really like that. I wanted to dig in a little bit more to the cross-cultural workshops that you do for the students. Can you describe those to us and, and, and explain exactly how they work? Prior to the workshop, they do a group project. So they are grouped off by their country to do kind of like a country profile. One, I realized, even as a student myself, I didn't know very much about the place I was going. I knew there were hot guys. I knew there was good food. I knew there was a leaning tower and there was a coliseum. But beyond that, I didn't know anything about history or politics or even the educational system that I was going into. So with this group project, one, it gets them to kind of start communicating with people who may be on their program or within the country with them to kind of have that little bit of solidarity of, I'm not alone in this. 
but also to realize I'm, I don't have to do this project on my own. I have all these people to help me pull all of this information together. And so they're told that they're supposed to present this at the regional cross workshop. I do not. I do ask questions to find out how much they are, but I'm always thrilled when I see the presentations that get sent to me and I use it as kind of like informational for prospective students who are like, okay, what's this country like? Or what background information do you have about this? And they can do anything with it. I actually had one student one year, um, they were, they were going to Sweden and she did a full on video. Like this was like cribs of welcome to my house. We're going to go to Sweden and kind of like walking me all over the place. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I had one student, one student group um, going to Japan. Someone happened to be an, an artist. So their whole thing was an animated cartoon about Japan. So students can get as creative as they want with it. I, I don't really put any guardrails around it. I just want them to have a sense of the information. Then once we're actually together, we kind of break it up in pieces. So I have one video that we use from Carleton University. It's a video that they had made for students on intercultural communication. And so we go and delve into that video and we ask questions and we kind of talk through some of the material that is debriefed in there. And then we have another video called Aliens, and it is from the perspective of international students who are studying here in the United States in terms of their observations of the American students they were going to school with and how they're trying to navigate that. And it's for students to kind of realize, okay, these are international students talking about you. So now you're going to go into another place. How are you going to talk about them? But now you just heard all these things that they said about you, that how are you question, or we, we are very personable in terms of our private space, but you may be going in some place where you're a sardine on the subway. So how do you navigate all those type of things? And then, of course, the what's in your name to talk about self-identity and then we wrap it up in the end with the group project information and so that each group can kind of hear a little bit about what each other group had done. So I do like poke at each one a question or two of information. And then if we have time, sometimes they want to see what does so-and-so do? So I'll do like a quick kind of guide through on the slides. But I modify it. Oh, the one thing I forgot to say is before we start all of this, we had a global common ground exercise. We move from one space into another space that is kind of secure. This particular exercise is to be done in silence. Students may choose or choose not to participate, even though we urge them to, because we have them self-identify to various statements. So with that, it's kind of like done in a circle. So like the first couple questions or statements are very easy. Step into the circle if you identify as African-American or Black. Easy, easy. Then the questions get a little bit harder. Uh, I've had my bank account overdraft, or I've had to sleep in my car, or I 
protest wars, or I believe marijuana should be legalized, or I get followed by the police when I go to stores. Um, I've been sexually harassed. So each grouping is to one, to get them to think about, okay, how do I answer this? But in the sense, I'm not alone in this. We all have our challenges. Some of the statements have to deal with habits to get them to think about, oh, yeah, you wash your hair every single day. You may be going to a place where water is limited and you cannot wash your hair every day. Or you may not have hot water readily available to you every day. So to get them to think about their habits in comparison to the places that they're going. So for me, that is like my, my fun activity to kind of start out with. I just love the the intentionality behind all of this. And, and you have me thinking, Ms. Sharon, about, you know, what I knew of Spain before I went there when I was 20. And I knew there was hot guys and I knew there was good food. Uh, and I wish I could say I knew a lot more than that. Uh, so perhaps I could have uh, benefited from participating in one of your workshops. Yes. I would love for you to share an aha moment that you've seen a student have during one of your sessions. Right now we're in the middle. I'm about ready to do a BIPOC session. And so... I've invited back a few of my alumni that, you know, those, those kids that are near and dear to you, they stay in touch. And so one of my students, this is, this is the student that I love, the student that it takes you some time, two years to work with the student for them to even make a decision to go anywhere. The student who I do not want to apply for scholarships because everyone's doing it. I don't want to tell people I'm poor. I don't want to tell people anything about me because it's none of their business. So that student who's very closed off, very defensive, doesn't understand why study abroad is important. But most important, which for me is given the diversity makeup of my campus, a student who feels though they can't see themselves abroad because they don't see anyone like them abroad. To finally get to that pre-departure workshop moment and realize I'm this close to getting on a plane. I've done all of these things. Yes, it may have taken me this long journey to get there, but I'm going to India, a place where, uh, I was shocked when we chose a location. I don't want to do scholarships, but I applied for six and I got seven. So that lets me know that you've got something to say. And those donors and those, those organizations heard your voice and the validity of what you're trying to do. Then, oh my goodness, you get abroad and start blogging. Some of the best blog material I've ever seen from a student who was very constructive in the reflective pieces. One of my favorite blogs was titled Pulling the Race Card. And in this sense that the treatment that she thought she was giving in India was based on the fact that she was a black female. She would go places, ask for stuff, and would get one response or get one price. And then hear locals ask, and they would get something else. Very frustrated. 
why are they doing this to me? I'm a black woman. This is why they're treating me like this. And then all of a sudden was this aha moment. It's not because I'm black. I'm not black. It's because I'm American. Oh my goodness. Have I always been pulling the race card when it has nothing to do with race when I'm in America? So just, I mean, talk about a, a reflective piece of, am I necessarily, unnecessarily using race to be defensive over treatment that I'm receiving? And it has nothing to do with race. Not only have I thought about that in India, but have I been doing this back in the States? Am I pulling the wrong card? And literally, that's how she ends it. Am I always pulling the wrong card? So the aha moment of seeing this student's journey, it, it's, I think as an advisor, I'm going to get very teary-eyed. It kind of chokes you up because then you feel as though this is why we do this job. I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. I mean, just the kind of the way, you know, you, you're guiding students to analyze the multiple different identities that they have and, mm-hmm. and, and how those manifest um, abroad and, and how that impacts their experience. It's just so in- intentional. You know, I think it's a it's a testament to you that you've been able to keep in touch with some of your superstar alumni and, and have kind of brought them into the, the fold to help support, you know, pre-departure orientation. How do you leverage other offices on campus, or other allies, um, whether that's international students or the financial office or, or what have you, to, to help orient students before they travel? Well, there's a running joke that I, I sleep in my office because I'm always <laughs> here. Um there's, I mean, wherever there are students, you will find me. So our ethnic gender offices, I'm always there. I usually do what I call a snacking chat where I'll roll up with a wagon and I hang out. And the whole point of the snacking chat is not to talk about study abroad. I know it sounds very counteractive. I don't go in there to talk about study abroad. I go in there to kind of hear what the students got going on in their day to day, what they got going on in their life. One, because how am I going to convince you to go anywhere when you may be facing other issues here? So what are those challenges and barriers do I need to be worried about? Yes, by the time I leave, of course we're going to talk about study abroad because they all know who I am. But for me, it's interesting to be in their spaces. So for me, I always say you've got to show trust to students by showing up where they're at. So if you're expecting them to always come to you, that's not going to happen. So the fact that I'm always engaged, I'm out there in their offices, I get to see what's happening with them. Um, My athletes, very unique cohort of students. I'm very blessed because their study hall happens to be on my floor. So I will pop into study off. Hey, guys, I know you can't really study abroad because you are in, you got this going on with basketball and we are in tennis. Now we got softball and baseball going on right now. But here's a couple snacks. Have we thought about maybe doing study abroad in the summer? An international experience does not necessarily mean you have to study abroad. It does not mean you have to be gone a year. People need to realize everyone has such different priorities going on in their life. I have a very unique 
body of students where I have a lot of single parents. I have a lot of commuter students. I have a lot of older students. We have a huge veteran population on our campus. So I have to be aware that I have to have a program for everybody. I mean, I've been so real to tell students, you know what? This is not going to work for you. You might as well just buy you a ticket and go on vacation for a few days. <laughs> if you want me to help you, I'll help you navigate it. Kind of keeping it real. So using the ethnic gender offices like that, then when we're doing safety and wellness, partnering with our counseling center, our health center for health clearances, um, LGBT resource center to navigate anything with sexual and gender identity I'm everywhere. Um, sometimes if I have to, like we have honors. So honors have a global capstone. So I'm like, okay, what do I need to know for that capstone for those students who want to go abroad? How are we connecting what they're doing? Um, so I'm very involved. I cannot do this job without my campus partners, as well as my IEO partners, hence World Strides, <laughs> because I can't, this is not a bubble. I mean, it, it takes a village, and I mean, it really takes a village to get one student to get on a plane and have an experience. Uh, here, here, you know, I think all too often in this field, you know, we can feel bogged down by our emails and, you know, what's going on in our offices, but really to, to create change and to make a difference, we need to get out of our offices and, and into the spaces where students are, and you just set such a great example of that. Ala Sharon, so what advice would you give to other education abroad professionals who are seeking to update or refresh their current pre-departure content, or for someone who is starting from scratch? How, how should someone get started? How do you get started? Honestly, that's a really good question. I think when I started here at UCR as a very wide-eyed, fresh-eyed, I'm going to change the world advisor, I kind of sat and looked at what did I not know? What did I wish I knew before I got on a plane. And so a lot of our early innovations of our pre-departure workshop came from me just being a clueless student myself, then using my students. So turning to the students who just came back. All right, I just pitched all of this information before you went on the program. How helpful was this? What did you now need to know? So using that feedback as the students cycling, so using them as my barometer for new information. When we started to revamp this current pre-departure, I went and got a grad student from our School of Education who was into curriculum design. So she did not have a background in international education. She had never studied abroad. So I'm like, okay, hold on. Ding, ding, ding. Let's find me another grad student. Here we go, Northwestern Arizona, brought in a grad student who was doing an international education program, who was a former UCR student who actually studied abroad. All right, I'm going to pair you two together for whatever you're doing for your research project. You take the knowledge that you're getting from your international education program. You take the knowledge from your curriculum and design program. Here's all the material that we're giving to our students. How do you revamp it? What new information exists out there? So um, I love empowering students to provide the information that we give students. Well, Sharon, what is the best compliment you've ever received? 
like the other day I was trying to get lunch and I was teasing this one student, didn't even recognize them. And he goes, Sharon, I want to thank you so much. I had the most amazing time on my program this summer. And I said, oh, you want a broad? He goes, yeah, I did the computer science with the faculty. We had this. And he goes, I appreciate our pre-departure safety and wellness. I was so prepared for where we were going because I knew nothing. So even if it's not handwritten, even if it's in that spare moment that you walk by, even if you don't say nothing, but I see what you're doing afterwards is a testament. I'm going to give another student story, given the fact that I have such a unique student body. 72-year-old grandma. No. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> 72-year-old grandma has come back to UCR. She was a student here in the early 70s, had dropped out because she had gotten pregnant. Life went on, kids, grandkids or whatnot. Shows up in my office. I was here long ago. My major is now revamped and it requires me to have a language. I have never left the United States. Can I go to Spain? And I said, well, yeah, you can go to Spain. I, I do want you to be prepared that your programs, your, most of your students are going to be between the age of 18 and 22. But if you're fine with that, we will get you to Spain. Went to Spain, had the most amazing time. A few years after that, I connected with her. She was finishing up her PhD program in theology. And I was just like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you went from, I dropped out. I'm going back to UCR to finish up my degree. I'm going to study abroad. And now I'm going to get my PhD. This is why I tell students, you know what? You're never too old or too young to learn something. And so for me to see anytime my students are finding success and inspiration and aspiring to other things that they may not even thought of is amazing. Talk about creating life-changing moments for students. That's, that's incredible, Sharon. So this year, we're celebrating World Stride's 55th anniversary by collecting the life-changing moments of students and past participants on our programs. It's been a lot of fun to read everyone's stories. And I know you have a lot of experiences yourself. So I would love to know, LaSharon, what was your life-changing moment? Ooh, my life-changing moment. My life-changing moment came at the community college level. So again, I'm I ref, I'm very much reflective of my student body, given that I'm also a UCR alum. I was a transfer student. And while I was in community college, I had an opportunity to partake in this global, this California global classroom exchange with students in Singapore and Brunei. This was m literally my first trip out of the United States. Now, that's, that's crazy to say, given that I was in the United States Navy and I did never left the United States. <laughs> so this was my first trip. This was a very much eye-opening trip because the students that they targeted were Hispanic students from high schools in the local community college. So I remember the day I showed up at the airport and everyone's looking at me like, who are you? Who 
that we were taking Hispanic students. So the advisor who selected me for this program did it knowingly that not everybody who's Hispanic has the same background. She did it knowingly that I was an older student who happened to be a single parent who had very much life skills. Um, I was the oldest student on the program. We spent one week in Singapore and one week in Brunei. Singapore was a snap. I was like, dude, Asian New York, I got this. <laughs> Brunei, on the other hand, was very interesting. For those who don't know, I am Jewish. I come from a Jewish background. Going to Brunei, which is a very much Islamic country, you get off the airplane and you're greeted by their military forces with M16s. And I'm like, okay, I am not in Kansas anymore. What I didn't know at that time, it was also the site for the APEC convention. So they had all the dignitaries and prime ministers. Our own president was there. So hence all this heavy security. We actually wind up staying at the university in one of their older dorms. But I, you got to think, I was in the military. I've slept in the dirt. I mean... I'm well adjusted. So when they moved us into the dorms, the students there, mostly the high school students, were very much complaining because it was a little dusty. I was super excited because they had this old crank washing machine, like a hand crank washing machine. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do some laundry. So <laughs> I was having so much fun. Well, the campus representatives, they felt very bad about it the next day once they started to hear the complaints. I was fine, but they moved us into what is known as the Sultan's Hotel. That hotel happened to also be the venue for the APEC convention. So if I'm going to the, the restroom, oh, hi, Chelsea Clinton. Going to lunch, oh, there's Bill. And then because I'm an older student, a lot of people are like, oh, you're with the American delegation. Yes, I'm with the American <laughs> delegation. Because technically, I am with the American delegation. I may not necessarily be with President Clinton's delegation. So for me, it was a very much a unique perspective. But I think that was kind of my life-changing one because... The treatment I received is, yes, Singapore, not a lot of people look like me, even though Singapore is very diverse within itself. I finally had to ask the um, Bernese students, I don't understand the treatment I'm receiving when I'm out on the street. Because I would walk and people would literally stop what they were doing until I passed. So I'm like, Am I doing something wrong? Am, am I supposed to have done something? They're like, no, 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 no. They think you're a dignitary. And I said, why? Because no black people come here unless they're a dignitary. Well, lo and behold, I got to meet the U.S. ambassador who happened to be an African-American woman from Texas. And ended up in a side conversation. She goes, this now explains why there's sightings of me. In places that I'm not. <laughs> so for me to kind of be on like this unique level to get certain treatment because of this perception of 
where I'm from and what was going on was very eye-opening that I need to get out and explore the world and understand the world more. Um, I had time, I mean, I had on occasion while I was there to talk to dignitaries from Peru and Germany and Russia, Argentina. And so, although trying to keep my level of identity that I'm not who you think I am, um, but to kind of engage in stuff and realize my political knowledge, my historical knowledge of the world around me is not what it is. How do I learn more? How do I engage with people more? And that's that for me was my my life changing experience right there. That is a great one. Yeah, not not many students that I was working with can say that they were um, confused for an ambassador while they were studying yes. abroad. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> As you think about education abroad in twenty twenty three, what's one thing that makes you hopeful? I'm hopeful that even when the world shuts down our students still have that desire to get out there and explore the world. When the pandemic hit, I think there were a lot of questions around how do we survive? Do we even survive? Do we even have jobs to go back to? <laughs> um, which, which, I mean, literally. It was an open question there for a while. It was yeah. a lot yeah. of questions <laughs> behind it. But for me, I think, yes, there were a lot of things that being locked down in the world revealed that we still have a lot to learn and a lot to grow. I was fortunate enough that I had to leave some students in country to hear their perspective of what was going on from the country point of view of where they were at, that we didn't stop. We're still thriving. There's still this desire to go. I'm I'm super excited. Um, I've already been outside the country, of course, to our neighbors to the south. But I'm like, ooh, in two weeks, I'm on a plane to London. So I'm super excited to say that I'm, I'm back in the air. I'm going to cross the pond. That one little thing is not going to stop us. I think we, as individuals as the human race, whatever you want to kind of categorize yourself, we have this need. We need have this need to explore and see the world and understand people. So I'm hopeful for that, that that continues no matter what life throws at us. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right there. Thank you so much, LaSharon, for your time. And, and to our listeners, Thank you for joining another episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I am your host, Zach McKinnis, and make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.